Good morning, everyone. Are you all half asleep? Good morning, everyone. Oh, there we go. I know it's nice and cold. You guys are just going to stay awake for another half an hour, okay? All right. If you have your Bibles with uh, you this morning, will you please open them up to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. And as you're turning there, I'm just so excited as we've been singing songs as as Rod shared a little stop during the song, God's just got a real good theme for us this morning about His great love for us um, and how He comes and how He comes and intervenes on our behalf. So, if you're there, Galatians 2, 15, uh, verses 21. Galatians is after the book of Corinthians, if you're looking for it. All right, here we go. I'll be reading from the English Standish Version. It goes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Such an amazing passage. And in this particular passage that we have just read, there's this word, this important word that appears for the first time in the book of Galatians. This word is is so important um, to Paul's argument and defense for the gospel against those who oppose it and the reason why he's writing this letter. This word is so important that I would suggest that it is central to Christianity and that if we do not understand the concept of this word, we might not have heard it before, we might not be able to spell it or define it, but if we don't understand the concept that this word portrays, then I would suggest that we have might have missed Christianity as a whole. It is that important. And what we see here is that word is mentioned for the first time in verse 16. It is the word justified. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, says this about the doctrine of justification. He says, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary is it, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. It is that important that we need to know this doctrine so well that we need to even share it with others, and not just share it, but beat it into their heads. Because it is that so important for us. So if justification is so central to Christianity, then we better understand it right. So what does the word justify mean? Well, it's a legal term. Um, The opposite of justify would be to condemn, um, would be to, to declare guilty, all right? 
So then justification would then be to declare innocence or to declare not guilty. That's what justification is. Um, we see that the Bible refers to it as when God comes along and he takes a sinner. This I'm using my hands here, so you've got to follow me. All right. He takes a sinner. He not only takes away their sin, so this is the morally neutral line. We're not neither good nor bad. He takes away our sin, but he doesn't just stop there, but he makes us righteous as well. So he takes us from sinful, takes away it, but he also declares us as righteous. We sang about that this morning. And, and here we see we go from sinful to righteous. That is what is called justification, and we are being justified. But there's a problem here. There's, there's two truths that we need to understand. One is that God is holy and that we are not. And for the last 2,000 years, and forever onwards until Jesus returns, there will always be a friction, a tension um, between man and God. Romans, Romans uh, 10, no, Romans, sorry, Romans 5, verse 10, says that we are enemies of God when we don't know Jesus. We are enemies. We're not just not pearls, not friends. We are enemies. We are at war with God. And this becomes a problem for us because we need to be justified. We need to make sure that we get to a standard where our sins are no longer there, but yet declared as righteous as well. Does that make sense? All right, so that's what we're going to be discussing. How do we do that this morning? And fortunately for us, Paul is far more clever than I am, so I'm just going to read what he says and then tell you. Okay, all right. Let's read verse 15 and 16 again. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Let's stop there. Not justified by works of the law. When we talk about law here, we talk about the commands of God. All right? Or the, the sum total of all the commands of God, like the Ten Commandments, etc. So when we refer to works of the law, we refer to being obedient to the commands of God. So Paul says that, um, that we are not justified by obeying God's commands. Now, the Jews believed that this was the way to go. So if you did all the commands and you obeyed them, you did them right, at the end of it, you would be justified and, and you'd be saved. All right, good. Now there's another group of people that Paul is writing to here. And um, I had to ask Mark how to pronounce this during the week because I never get it right. But Judaizers was a group of Christian Jews that held two things. One, that you had to believe in the law and you also had to believe in Jesus. So it wasn't a, a both, it wasn't just one or the other, it was a both and. You had to complete all the commands of God. You had to do all the Ten Commandments. You couldn't commit adultery. You couldn't uh, murder. You couldn't do any of uh, the Ten Commandments. You had to you had to obey all the Ten Commandments, but it didn't just stop there. But you also had to do all the ceremonial laws as well. So you had to pray. You had to read your Bible daily. You had to fast. You had to go to all the different worship events. Um, go to cell group on Wednesdays. You had to do all of that. I don't know if they had cell groups on Wednesdays. Um, but you had to do all the things, all right? You had to meet the standard. And if you got this right, if you achieved this, if you did not miss a beat and you got the, all this, then you would succeed. You would be able to reach the standard in which God has uh, set. And Paul describes this in Romans 10 verse 6 as them seeking to establish 
their own righteousness. Now, this might seem quite different to us because we, we don't have the Ten Commandments. Well, we, we have the Ten Commandments, but it's not, we're not Jews and this isn't as serious and this might not seem so relevant to us. But actually, it's not far from what the rest of the world thinks. If we had to go down Settler's Way and we had to go and stop a number of people and we had to ask them, why do you think you're going to heaven? A lot of them would suggest, I'm a good person. Why wouldn't I? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I have a good job, I, I'm a husband, I'm, I'm great to my wife, I, bu- I buy her flowers once a week, my kids are fantastic, I go and watch all their sport games if I can make it or not. I even give to charity, and if I could give to charity, I would even help the old lady across the road. Of course I'm good. And most religious uh, uh, religions and religious sects and all those things all hold to a very similar thing. You have to achieve the certain standard in order to be saved. It's not very far off from from what these Judaists believed. And quite frankly, we like it. Because it means that we just have to roll up our sleeves, pull up our socks, knuckle down, and we can get it right. We love the fact that it's in our own hands and that we can achieve it ourselves. But Paul says that no one is justified by the works of the law. And why? By the simple reason that no one can achieve it. That the standards are so high that we always will at least break one, if not all, and therefore never reach the standard in which God requires of us. You see, we think that we're good enough because we are comparing to the wrong thing. We think we're good enough because I am looking down the road and I'm seeing my neighbor and I see that he doesn't buy his wife flowers once a week. He does it every three weeks. How dare he? And as a result, he is not as good as I am. And if I look around and I read the newspapers, I just have to see the sin that's in this world. And I'm not like those people, so therefore I'm good. Yes, that person down that side of the road, he's better than me, but he's also going to heaven, so it's okay. But I'm, I'm certainly making it. And the problem is that we are comparing with others when we should not be comparing with others because we need to be comparing to God. The law is the, the, the standard that God sets because that is His character. And if we cannot reach His character, we're in a problem. When we see how great God is, we see how sinful we are, and we're in a horrible, horrible situation, and we fall horribly short. And the, the funny thing is that, the astonishing thing is, is that we think we're good at all. Because if we think we're good, we've missed the points. But really, at the end of the day, how dare we even think we're as good as God? Because we are far, far from that. So how, how then, if, if that's not the route to take, how then does Paul say we should do it? Well, let's read verse 16 again. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came and he lived and he died on this earth for our sins. He lived a perfect life, uh, obeyed the law, was able to achieve all that the law required of him, so that when he went and he would die on the cross for us, he would take the punishment of sin. Now, not his sin, remember, he is perfect. He didn't deserve death, but the wages of sin is death. The punishment of sin is death. So when he died on the cross, he was not taking his sin upon himself, he was taking ours that we are hopeless and sinful, right? 
Because if you don't see the need for help, you're never going to cry out for it. So you have to acknowledge that you are sinful and that you are helpless and that you need God to come along and save us. And when you do that, you come and you repent. We acknowledge that Jesus has died for us, for our sins, so we ask him to please forgive us for our sins, but also to please forgive him forever, for us to forever, please forgive us for us to ever have thought that we were good enough, that we could ever achieve it ourselves. And when we do that, we just simply trust that Jesus has died for us on the cross, what we call faith, that he has died for us on the cross, and when we do that, we are saved. It's the simple act. Rog spoke about how this was a, an expensive thing to take place, a price, a big price that was paid, but it's a price that Christ paid for us. There's no price that we have to pay. All we have to do is simply receive it. It was paid by Christ on the cross. That's the great mercy and grace of God. So in verse 17 here, we, Paul starts to anticipate a question that comes up. And, and maybe you have anticipated this or, or thought of this question before. So if you go, Joey, will you say that I have to do nothing to, uh, I don't have to obey the commands, I don't have to achieve them in order to be saved? Yes, you don't. You have to believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, does that mean then that I can go on sinning? Because actually it doesn't matter how I work, I just have to simply believe in Jesus, right? Well, well, Paul anticipates a similar question to this in verse 17. Let's read it. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So, if I go and sin, do I make Jesus a servant of sin? In other words, is he helping me now to go and sin a lot because I'm actually saved even though I'm doing bad things. And Paul responds with a certainly not. not he's, he's actually quite annoyed here. If you could read the tone, it's, it's, it's certainly not. It's not a happy. It's, he's upset. He's like, no, of course not. And in verse uh, 18, he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So if I rebuild what I tore down, it's my fault. If I go and sin afterwards, this is my, I am the sinner, not Christ. He doesn't have, he has nothing to do with this, me. And you see, what this means is that we also have a poorer understanding. We haven't got a full understanding of what justification is if we think it's okay for us to go and run rampant because God has forgiven me. Now let me explain. What it is here is that justification is not simply, is not only my status changing before God. Now let me say that again. I want to underline, I want to make bold the not only part. It is not only. Say with me, not only. One, two, three. Not only. Oh, you guys are bad at this. All right, let's try again. One, two, three. Okay, so you can never say to me that it was all me. I did not say this, all right? It is not only God changing our status before him. It certainly is, all right? It's part of it. We go from sinners, remember, to righteous. That is, that's our, our status has been changed before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross, 100%. But there's more to it than just our status changing. There's another change that takes place, and that is the very person of who we are. 
We ourselves change when Jesus comes and dies for us. We ourselves change when we believe in it. Our character itself changes. We become different. And we see this in a, in a passage that we read uh, last week. We'll, we'll touch on that now. Can remember, we are, we are a new creation in Christ. But in verses 19 and 20, Paul uses this, this really cool imagery. He uses this to an imagery twice in verse 19 and again in verse 20 of dying and coming alive. That we will, we will die to the old self and come alive in Christ. There's this new creation as a whole. Let's, so let's read verse 19. It says this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to Christ. So through the law, the law's demands was that the wages of sin is death. If you don't keep up my standard, then you must die. But what we see here is that if through the law I died to it, I died to it because what Jesus died. Because Jesus died, I am no longer part of the law. I have died to it, but now I'm alive in God. You get that? There is, we died and now we're alive. In verse, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have, I have died with Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross, so my sin was washed away. So my sin was taken away on the cross as well. I have died with Christ, and as he died and rose again, so I died and rose again. And uh, it says here, um, I've crucified, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's this imagery of being be going, dying and becoming a new person, becoming a new creation as a whole. And that verse that we read last, last week and we discussed a little bit, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. It has gone. It is chaput. It is never coming back. And the new has come. Uh, and uh, behold, uh, behold, and the new has come. And this is this beautiful imagery of us becoming this new creation. And as we become this new creation, we get new desires, we get a new heart, and we, we strive for something else. So does justification lead us to a life full of sin so that we can ramp it? No, of course not, because we are new creations with new desires. We don't want to sin like we wanted to. We want to please God and live for Him. Paul would go so far as to say that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in this passage. Christ is in me, giving me new desires for holiness, giving me a new desire to live for heaven, giving me a new desire to live for God. This is the God who lives in me. Does that mean we don't sin? No. Of course not. Every Christian in this room will tell you we sin a lot. We still toil and fight with sin 100%. But the difference is the toiling and fighting and wrestling with sin is different. So on this aspect here, this side here, this side's going to be a work of uh, trying to be justified by uh, the law, trying to work and earn our salvation. On this side over here, we are working, we are striving, we are toiling with sin, we're trying to get better so that we can reach the standard of God. But the problem is, is that we can't do it. So we mess up and we start to live a life of fear. We start to live a life of anxiety and stress, a life that is discouraging, a life 
that has no love because we're so worried about the wrath of God upon our lives that we never reach in the standard that he requires, that we never get in there. One minute I've done something good so I feel I'm okay with God. The next minute I do something bad and I feel that I'm so distant and far from God and we never feel like we get in there. On this aspect, on this side, Paul says, Paul says this, just to finish off verse 20, he says, it, um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. And the life I now live, I live in faith. Uh, I live uh, in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So on this aspect, I'm not trying to live a life in order to earn salvation, but rather I'm living knowing that Christ has died for me, that he loves me, that I am a son and daughter in Christ in this moment. And so I live, and yes, I toil and I fight against sin. Paul says, fight the good fight, flee from sins, pursue righteousness. These are things we have to do, but it is not of a place of anxiety and fear that I'm never going to be good enough. Why? Because I know I'm not good enough, but Christ has made me righteous. He has died for my sins. I am in him already. So regardless of how I perform, by the grace of God, I am right with God. And therefore, as I toil and as I wrestle, I remember the love of God. I remember that he has died for my sins. I remember that I am right with God. And so it's for a one of peace and one of joy and one of love and one of anxiety-free life because I am right with God for what Jesus has done on the cross. Does that make sense? Because I cannot do that again. <laughs> okay, great. And church, that is so important. So, so important. That, that life, when we are in this sweet spot here, living a life, toiling and fighting sin, yes, which is hard and tough, but it was in a place of peace and knowing you're right with God, that is so beautiful. Your relationship with God blossoms, you grow, you, you live a life of joy because you know that you are right with God because He has done so much for you. Let's look at the last, very last verse in, in verse 21. Paul says here, I do not or I will not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for another purpose. I've had this conversation with people before. And I remember having this conversation with a particular person, and the person said to me, Joey, you know what, that sounds great, but you know what, I'm going to do both anyway. I'm just going to guarantee that it's okay by me working really, really hard, so I am fine with Jesus, and then, then I was going to do that. But Paul says when we do that, when we have that attitude, we nullify the grace of God. We, we say, Lord, actually, your grace, it's not, that, it's not needed, it's not necessary. Why? Because I am still able to achieve the standard. And then he goes to say that Christ died for no purpose. When we have this attitude, Paul actually touches it in verse 1 in Galatians. He says, yeah, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is saying you are deserting Christ. Not deserting the gospel, you're deserting him. You're deserting God. You're deserting the God of grace. When we say we don't want anything to do with his grace, we're going to try all our best. we actually not Christians at all, but rather on a different path completely. So just in summary, as, as we come around the communion table, and uh, we're going to dive into communion, 
this morning is when we come around this table, we are reminded of how great God's love is for us. We are reminded that His love is so great because we could never live up to His standard. We were called His enemies, yet He looked upon us, loved us, and He would send His Son Jesus to come and take the punishment we could not pay ourselves. And that punishment being death. And we hear knowing that it's nothing that I do that earns my relationship or makes my relationship any more great with God because God loved me so much that he gave himself up for me as a free gift. I don't deserve it. So the, the challenge for us this morning is not to come to this table out of fear and out of trembling for those of us who are in Christ. Because what Jesus has already done for us is he's done something that opens up a door that we can come here out of peace and out of joy. So as we partake of these elements, we are reminded of such an amazing love that God loved us, that he died for us.